Welcome back to the Missing More Amari podcast. I'm Tim. How's it going, Lance? It's going pretty well. How are you? Doing great. It's been a little while since our last episode, but we've been working on some stuff. So uh, please don't uh, don't assume that this um, this feed has gone dark. It has not. Right. Exactly. Just to clarify, when we started this podcast, and I believe we've said this before, all of the information that has to do with the case was coming at a you know at a, at a rapid pace because it was out there and we needed to. Um, talk about it and you know so it was every week we would have something new as kind of the backstory to the whole case but since we reached a certain point we're we we now talk about things after researching them and it's uh it's it's very much like we're delivering um news on the case so to put something out there in a forced way just to get an episode out isn't really what tim and i uh feel is the best thing to do with this podcast. So even though there are periods of time when nothing is being released, just know that we are working on topics and, and theories behind the scenes, and we release them as we see fit. And I would like to congratulate you on uh, this is probably the closest thing we're going to release to a, uh, a one-year podversary. Uh, we've been doing this uh, podcast for a year, and uh, it's it's pretty remarkable the progress that we've made. The amount of downloads has been staggering. So, I just want to say thank you to everybody out there, and please continue to spread the word about this podcast, this case, and our upcoming documentary. And that's a great segue into the interview that we have now. This interview, um, it took a little bit of convincing for our subject. We did the interview so that. People who were there during the search, um, directly involved in the search, maybe they'll hear this gentleman's voice and they'll come on, or maybe something will jog loose in their memory and they can email us or they can they can give us a call and, and they can provide more information. But it is a step in the right direction as far as getting right back to the to the scene and to the uh, to the search. Rick Graves is our interview tonight. And we were able to put together some information through our conversations with Rick before we started, uh, before before we actually agreed to be on the podcast. So Rick had mentioned something about a cabin that uh, one, maybe one of Maura's friends knew. These are things that he had heard a while ago, and he said, ask the Murrays about it. We asked the Murrays about it and got back an email. Is this the one you're talking about? And it was a link to the UMass outing club cabin. So that was when we were first introduced to the outing club cabin in time to ask the police about it, because I feel like there would be more speculation going on. Uh, if we hadn't got that answer from the police, right? If they, they never answered it. I feel like for me, I would be convinced she was headed there. Absolutely. But as it stands, I'm not convinced. Uh, I still think it's a strong possibility, though. And it's really interesting to hear what Rick has to say about that, how his theories leading up to in the past 12 years were one way. And certain people that they looked at as suspects or had knowledge of her disappearance. And then this cabin news came up and what he has to say about it is really surprising to me. Hopefully somebody out there will hear this and they'll have more information on it. We, we've actually since the interview, gathered some information on this cabin and what slow level of knowledge people had uh, affiliated with UMass. Um, so we're, we're compiling that information. We'll, we'll, we'll release that soon. But again, we want to make sure we do it in a, uh, in a, in a you know, responsible way. Right. And uh, this being the one-year podversary, it, it sort of got me thinking, are we still going to be doing this a year from now? And I'm sure we're not going to put out 29 episodes if we are still going a year from now. 
probably more like 10 or something like that. But I thought that, yes, we probably will be unless this case is solved and it's an apparent suicide. And the reason is because of the information that came about through our conversations behind the scenes with Rick Graves and our contacts with the Murrays and other people. So it's just, we saw it firsthand, and it's not the first time this has happened on the podcast, but we saw it firsthand that the more you shake the tree, the more apples can fall from it. And that is the challenge with doing this podcast and being a part of this case and making the documentary on this case. Just when you think you've brought something to some sort of conclusion, it always happens where another element will will come about, take you by surprise, and actually be legit enough where you have to follow up on that. And that is the case with this cabin. And one of the other things I love about this interview, Lance, is the way that Rick talks about Mr. Murray. And he was very close to Fred during those searches uh, very, very early on. And so it's really interesting to hear from someone who has no familial relationship speak about Fred in such a positive way. Yeah, and the relationship that he had with Fred did seem to be positive, according to him. Um, and it's pretty interesting that they had such a relationship during such a dark time. And it's also really tragic how he said a couple of times after the third year, it just kind of petered out. And you can hear it in his voice. He's a really genuine guy. Um, that was one of the things that I liked about the interview is that it was really tough to to talk to him because he has a lot of information. He was there 12 years ago gathering information. He said he has notes everywhere. You can actually kind of hear him going through his notes uh, during the interview. Um, but he's trying to get it all uncluttered from his head because you can tell after the third year, he said, you know, we just needed to move on and get on with their lives. But he still has all that information. And by doing this interview, I think one of the reasons why he was really hesitant to do it um, was I don't know how much he wanted to pull that out of the attic. I feel like he thinks he should have prepared a little better for it, but I don't think that that would – 12 years later, I don't think there's any preparation for you know pulling these things out of his head and, and not knowing what we're going to ask him. And he's got to really try to remember um, because a lot of stuff happened during that time. And hopefully this isn't the only time that we interview him. So we hope you enjoy it, and we'll be back soon with more Missing More Murray. I also want to reiterate that if you are listening to this and you were part of the search crew or you were close to the investigators or close to the family and something does jog your memory listening to Rick talk about all this, if he's accurate on some details, if he's hazy on other details, please reach out to us. He's doing the best he can with um, his memory 12 years later and all of the details that are that are in his brain on this and, and what he's written down in notes. So that being said, we won't tease this any longer. Let's roll the, uh, roll the interview and let the listeners hear it for themselves. podcast rick graves uh very nice to uh to talk to you on the air and uh thank you very much for appearing i know uh it, it, it's sort of been a journey talking with you and uh i'm really glad you finally uh decided to do the podcast yeah I, i'm not very much of a, a speaker or anything um but i'm gonna do the best i can and answer some questions hopefully it will help 
for my behalf, just want to say thank you as well. Um, it did take a little bit of convincing uh, to get you on, but I really feel, and I, and I know Tim really feels this as well, uh, the things that you say and your experiences with the disappearance and with the search, I feel is very, very important for our listeners to hear, um, kind of give them a visual, put them in that uh, in that environment at that time. And who knows, maybe somebody who is listening, uh, who knows a person similar to yourself in that position back then, maybe, maybe they hear your voice and they decide that they want to come on too, because they see the good that can be done. Um, with you, uh, with someone like yourself coming on. I hope I can make some sort of difference, uh, just being on here. Um, you know, it, it's gone on long enough and, and, uh, and I, I got out of it back in, um, three years into it. Uh, I was three years into it and I got out of, uh, the, you know, the blogs and everything because everybody started bashing each other and it, it, it was making no sense until your podcast came up. That's, that's, uh, and I just came across it on New Year's Eve, uh, and started listening to it. That, that, a lot of that made sense. It was, it was great that you guys did this. Thanks a lot. So yeah, let's, uh, let's take it right to uh, the beginning. Let's, uh, let's talk about, when you were first uh, introduced to the case and what you were doing at the time, you know, maybe in your life and how uh, how your life transitioned into uh, the Maura Murray case. Yeah, um, I, I used to, uh, um, back about that time, I, I was searching for a couple of aircraft. I, 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 uh, it was just a hobby. Uh, I um, searched for aircraft. Um, there was one Learjet jet that disappeared. Uh, that was they, they finally found that that was out in Warren, uh, Warren, New Hampshire, on Smarts Mountain, um, and that had been missing for a couple of years. I got into that and tried to help the family out on that, and um, you know, did a lot of investigating on that Learjet, jet, uh, especially like uh, Lance, like you said. You, I, I think you said Jeffrey, New Hampshire. Correct. Uh, yeah. And uh, I do. I did a lot of searching around Keenan Jaffrey. Actually, took a helicopter out of Jaffrey. Um, this guy uh-huh. was, yeah, the, yeah. Jaffrey, I think, has a little airport. I was surprised when I got there. It looked like this helicopter. He uh, brought it out of the hangar, and he had to unfold the wings and everything. <laughs> <laughs> it looked like it had a Briggs and Stratton engine on the back. But, right. <laughs> but it, it, it was a good helicopter. I went up. Uh, we did a lot of searching down around that area. But um, anyway, I got I got on this other aircraft out in Massachusetts, and uh, um, actually this this guy had uh, he had a house I, I believe it was right around Jaffrey. He had a second house that he had, you know, a house guest staying at. Uh, so we figured he he probably crashed in between Massachusetts and going up to Jaffrey. Yeah, so I did a lot of searching out there on that, and then uh, while I was on that one. Um, this guy uh, that I knew from that one, uh, he uh, heard about this more Murray, uh, you know, uh, missing person. So he, he got into that, and then he asked me to take a look at it. So I, I took a look at it and, and uh, you know, uh, just got seriously, seriously involved with it, you know, for, for about three years. Before we get too far, I just want to um, ask how you got into searching for missing planes in the first place, and what, like, what is this curiosity um, in you that uh, that comes out to make to make you um, interested in searching for missing things? 
Right, because this isn't this is a this isn't something you do professionally, right? No, no, no. Um, yeah, I, I just got into it. Just got into investigating. Um, you know, and I, I was able to get a lot of records out of a lot of people under the Freedom of Information Act order. Um, you know, since nine eleven happened, then that, that kind of went by the wayside because you got to prove a lot that you need that information now. Um, back then, you didn't. They'd give you anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, I I, uh, I, I was just uh, intrigued by aircraft, and uh, I, I used to work at the Portland International Jet Port up here in Portland, and um, I just. I just like planes, I guess. <laughs> Maybe it was a past life of mine. Your work investigating must have been good enough for um, that other man to invite you to look at Mora's case. And uh, and I know I, I don't believe you want to say his name, right? Uh, no, I'd rather not. Okay, um, so yeah, we won't I, say I, his I'd name. Rather, but... I'd rather keep a lot of names out of this. Um, yeah. You know, on respect for them. That's fine. We have heard this person is still investigating. So, yeah, it's good. And uh, very um, sort of keeps a very low profile. Uh, but but this person is reportedly still investigating the Maura Murray disappearance um, as well. So um, just wanted to give a little background because I know we were going to get uh, that question if we didn't ask you. Yeah. Yeah, he, 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 you know, he's a nice guy, and, and uh, he, he was, uh, I guess, what you call as a, a searcher like me, um, just uh, trying to help people out and, um, you know, solving these mysteries. I, I've never been on a missing persons uh, case before, uh, the Moore Murray case. It's, it's more heartbreaking, of course, because you're searching for a, a person. Uh, you know, even in these aircraft, there are people, but, um, you, you know, it's uh, a little bit more personal, uh, I think. So this uh, this person who got you involved in the in the case, um, this was during your search for one of the aircrafts, and this person approaches you and says, you need to check this out. Uh, what was your initial uh, thoughts when you looked at uh, the details of, or not the not the details, but what was your, what was your initial impression when when uh, you looked at the uh, basics of the case? Uh, I just felt that, yeah, something's definitely wrong here. Uh, it, it just, it doesn't seem right. Why can't they find this person? And, and you know, so uh, I pondered on it for about a week, and then I said, I'm going out there. So I headed out there after about a week, which was about uh, two to three weeks after she went missing. And, uh, you know, just went out there and, and started uh, talking to talking to Fred. Met up with Fred. Talked to him. And uh, was it easy to approach Fred? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because uh, this person told me the hotel that Fred was staying at. So yeah, um, and he, he he was welcoming to to me. Um, you know, and I didn't have any problems with him whatsoever. I want to put the listeners um heads back in that in that place because um you you looked into the case in 2004 and there was no blogs written about this there was very little i mean there was no online chatter about it you you looked up this case on your own and uh and then decided to go um assist you you decided to go help the family um it's pretty impressive because you know i just needed i just need to get the listeners to you know, because everybody can look up all sorts of details and 
all sorts of information on this case now. But back then, that didn't exist. So just you know, imagine doing that. Imagine just hearing about something, looking it up on your own when it's so new, and then you only waited a week before you made the decision that it was important enough for you to go out there and, and look for. Um, it's just impressive to me that someone has resolve like that. Yeah, it, a lot of people you know, uh, that were around me, that, that, you know, my father, everybody couldn't understand why I was taking all my time and, and, and putting it into, into this stuff. Uh, you know, and, and it, it was, uh, you know, difficult for other people to swallow why I, why I'd be doing this. I was 39 years old at the time, uh, right around there, 39 or 40. I was a lot younger. I just got involved with it. And did it take a toll on the rest of your life? Oh, of course. Oh, yes. Yeah, it did. Um, you know, I, I think my relationship at, at that time of uh, more Murray was uh, a little bit in trouble anyways uh, with a girlfriend. But, uh, uh, you know, uh, but this, I, I this can't. Is what, this is what puts you over the top. Yeah. And, you know, it, it was kind of my time away for my me time and, and uh you know, she she had a couple of kids, and, and you know, and I, I really wasn't used to that. So, um, yeah, it, it, it was my time away. And looking back on it now, was it was it worth it? Would you go back and do the same thing again? In a different way. Um, gotcha. it, you know, as far as the girlfriend and, and, and everything goes. You would have broken up with her before you started searching? Well, <laughs> <laughs> it, it was the kids. It, it, yeah. You know, it, that's the only reason I stayed, you know, pretty much with her as long as I did was the kids. Uh, you know, I love kids and, you know. So then, yeah, they used to they used to call and contact me all the time. I made a difference in their lives too. <laughs> That's nice. Yeah. Before we get into a search day, a typical search day, uh, just curious how often you searched with Fred. When, when I went out there, I met Fred. I, uh, I uh, after that first day, you know, I came I came home and I said I said I, I can't do it no more. It's it's very heartbreaking. To go out there and not find anything. Um, that was after the first day? Yeah. Wow. You know, uh, yeah, I, I went out there and, and uh, yeah, it, it's very heartbreaking not to find anything. And I said, yeah, I told her I wasn't going to go do it again. Well, the next weekend comes and I, I had thought about it all week and I said, I'm going back out there. <laughs> so it, it, every weekend um, I was out there pretty much. Uh, quite a bit for uh, every weekend um, that first year um, searching with Fred and there you know there were a few weekends in between uh, a couple of here and there that Fred couldn't make it and I'd go out there and, and you know search down stuff that he had because he, he had to work um, and you know I had to work too and so and then there were weekends I couldn't be out there but other other people would go would go up and and help Fred out as well consistently for a full year at some on some level that area was searched every single weekend consistently yes and what areas um did you cover or do you feel comfortable saying that you you believe Moro is not going to be found there now you know, like like uh, obviously right near the crash site. But what other areas 
uh, in the woods did you guys really get deep into? Well, you couldn't do a whole lot of foot searching um, at that time because there was so much snow. Um, So basically, at at the first start of it, you you look for footprints, uh, you know, and and everything. Um, You know, that that was the biggest part of it. Or, Or places where you could, that were actually plowed out that you can pull into, um, you know, we'd search those areas. Um, towards the springtime, of course, when, you know, when the snow melted, we, we could get out deeper and, and go deeper. Um, you know, we kind of did a, a, a circle, um, starting, starting from the center and working our way out all, all the way. And, uh, you know, we covered quite a perimeter. How many of you were were searching at once? Well, it was uh, um, uh, let me see. It was one, two, three, four, five. Hey, I'd say between uh, four to six. Uh, four to six usually. He had some uh, distant cousins or some um, relatives or something. Something. Um, that would go out there just for support, and that, that helped out a lot. But you feel comfortable that the areas that you covered, you know, you, you guys wouldn't have missed uh, a body? Mm, no, no, we probably wouldn't have. No, we we covered we covered quite a quite a distance and quite an area. Overall, how many miles would you say? You know, if you or if you could give um, radiuses, say we covered within five miles of this place or five miles of this place, um, do you have any sense of uh, of what distances you covered in the in those areas? Well, when it was all said and done, I'd probably say about uh, uh, fifteen to twenty miles around. Um, it would be a rough guess. Holy shit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and we covered it pretty heavily. So for everyone listening, I just want you because what I'm thinking right now is my proximity to, to a certain city, um, which is about half of that. So everyone listening, think about some place that's 20 miles from you. That that was what was consistently covered and searched for a year. Now, it wasn't, you know, all at once, of course, but for a year within a 20 mile radius of that area. And and nothing nothing was found. Not even not even an article of clothing. Not an article of clothing. Of course, we looked for anything. We looked for a cell phone, uh, uh, um, uh, bottles of uh, alcohol. Actually, one of the first days I went out there, I, I did find a. It was a brand new empty bottle of vodka. Um, and we we searched that area high and low. It looked like it was just thrown out of a car window or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so we we don't know if she had vodka on her or, or not, but yeah, it, it looked very fresh. Like like fresh, like the label wasn't faded or anything. Yeah, it looked like it had been thrown out. You know, uh, the night before. Where uh, did you find that? That was off of the line. It's called the Line Kiln Road. Um, okay. Yeah, and I can't remember the area too well now. I think that's up. Uh, Woods, uh, Bradley Hill, French Pond Road area, uh, okay, there. But, but yeah, I, f- I found that 
pretty much right off. Did you take it? No, no. Um, yeah, Tim and Kathleen were with me when I when I found it, but um, yeah, we, we didn't take it. We just made note that that uh, that could be a good area to search. So yeah, yeah we we yeah we hit that area hard, hard and heavy. kind of contact did you have with law enforcement at that time or did fred have with uh law enforcement that time or you guys as, as a collective group fred had all the contact with law enforcement I, I i never talked to law enforcement at all out there when you found this vodka bottle were you um was there any rumor or were you aware that she had had alcohol in the car or was that information presented to you at a, at a later time no um yeah kathleen knew about it that she had alcohol with her um, and I don't know whether she saw uh, the videotape at the at the liquor store when she bought the alcohol. I, I'm kind of thinking that Kathleen might have seen the videotape because she commented on the shoes that she was wearing. When did Kathleen comment on the sh- on Morris shoes? Oh, this was this was right right after it started. Um, yeah, yeah, because I, I I was. We were going over everything, and you know, and one of the things was uh, what she might have bought at the liquor store. And I, I thought Kathleen said she had viewed the, the tape. I don't know whether that's true or not. I don't know how how she would know that she she was wearing those shoes. So how did that come up? No, well, because I, I I was you know going over everything, uh, you know, and uh, yeah, she said that they, they have. Uh, cameras from an ATM or something and, and from a liquor store. When did she mention, like, how did it come up in conversation about her shoes? I don't know. It just came up through, huh. yeah, me asking questions. <laughs> oh, okay. I, I, mean, I know it's, like, so long ago. It's tough to uh, it, it is. Tough to it is. You know, and it's, uh, you know, I, I think I was just asking questions about, you know, security cameras and, and you yeah. know, surveillance cameras. You know, and so what, what kind of shoes was she wearing? I I think she might have said some some. They, they're like a rubbery type of shoe, like a like a water shoe or something. I I I, I don't know. It, it it was a weird type of shoe. It wasn't oh, like like Crocs or something. Oh, I don't even know what those are. <laughs> I'm not familiar with those. But <laughs> it wasn't a running shoe. It wasn't a running shoe, and and something she probably shouldn't have been wearing that that night. It was a casual shoe, something you'd wear, almost like slippers. I'm getting the feeling. Yeah, um, something something along that line. Oh, okay, wow. Yeah, I remember looking it up online with Kathleen, and she pointed them out, and I, and I said, like, "Yeah, those are weird pair of shoes." <laughs> like Birkenstocks. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know shoes. Yeah, but it it just sounds like something that you wouldn't be trekking outside in snow in. It sounds like it right. would sink right in uh, really quickly and get your sh- your feet soaked, uh, which is a a very bad situation if anyone's ever uh, been in that situation. I know I have. Uh, right. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, please uh, take us through a a typical search day. Well, they they, they all varied. Basically, uh, I, I would head out there on on a Saturday. 
sometimes I would have a slow day at work on Saturday and be able to head out there early. Um, some days it was heavy. I wouldn't get out there until 9 o'clock. But then, you know, we'd grab a bite to eat. You know, we'd go to a, um, a restaurant or a bar and grab a bite to eat and have a beer. And, and you know, that, the good thing about this was uh, people knew us and, and, you know, and making us known around that area, at least the owners of these establishments could, you know, if they heard somebody talking, if they heard something, they would come directly to us and tell us. That's great. And was that a strategy that you guys um, ran with, sort of uh, talking um, to bar owners and uh, trying to keep your ear out at uh, certain restaurants? Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Because one thing I want to um, clarify with uh, everyone interested in the case, there's a little bit of a misconception out there that, you know, the the typical search day might start around like, you know, 930 or 10 o'clock and Fred would go for a jog and then you might go out and search a little bit. But, you know, everyone would head back to a bar and there'd be drinking and then the excuse was used while I was just trying to overhear people's conversations. Uh, was Was it anything like that? No, it's kind of like that. I mean, but I mean, you're talking about a little, do a little time search, and that, that no, we would we would beat the hell out of those woods that day, gravel pits, woods, uh, you know, everything, and uh, you know, we we were pretty worn out when you know when we get out of the woods and, and go grab a bite to eat and you know sit down and have a beer. But yeah, that was the end of our day, and it, it gave us a chance to thrash over on what we were going to do the next day, uh, you know, if we didn't leave that day. Um, you know, usually that was a Saturday night. Everybody pretty much showed up there on a Saturday. So we'd go out searching for a while, beat the hell out of ourselves, go to a bar, you know, grab a beer, and, and uh, you know, we'd have a good time. It, it, you know, it took Fred's mind off of a lot of stuff. You know, it, you know, it, it's hard being in that position as a father um, to be out there. Thank God he had some company helping him through it. You know, he's got a great sense of humor, and, and at, at times he, he he was comical, but at times you, you you would see him down and out. Yeah. You know, you know so yeah, uh, it, 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 I don't know if it's a misconception or. Part of its truth, part of its misconception. I, you know. Yeah, I think I think people have a hard time understanding that you know, like you said, you beat the hell out of the woods, and you're you're going strong in that like thick, dense woods. Um, yeah, you you go out and you get a burger and you get a beer to unwind, and I think it's a I think it's a hard concept for people to realize that every, everybody's human. If if Fred cracks a joke during one of those dinners, it doesn't mean that he doesn't care about looking for his daughter anymore. That's right. Yeah, no, he's he, he, I, in my mind, Fred, Fred's a nice guy. You know, I respected him. You know, he did what he could at the time. So when you're when you're first heading into the woods, where's your head at, and where where's where's the heads at of the searchers going in the woods? Like, what are you what are you gravitated towards, and what do you what do you say? You know, what do you discount? 
Yeah, this would happen around the springtime, of course, uh, not not the winter time. Um, going going into woods and and you know, uh, it, you know, we'd basically search uh, areas downhill and, and instead, of, you know, not not so much uphill because, um, it, uh, yeah, you're not you're not gonna find much uphill. You're gonna find you know more stuff downhill. That's interesting. Why is that? That's actually the first I've I've heard anything like that. That's interesting. If you're driving your car and you were to throw throw something out of your car window, let's say, uh, it, you more tend to throw it on the, on the downhill slope rather than on the uphill slope. Um, it's just the way it is. Uh, or if you were to if you were to try to get rid of a body, you you would do it on a downhill slope and not drag it up a hill. Were those actual thoughts that were going through people's? Was that verbalized? I, I don't know if it was verbalized. I think it was more of a a, a gimme than than anything. Wow! You know, it's just something you just think of. So it was sort of like you were trying to get into the heads of someone who disposed the body and where they would have done that, as opposed to in the head of Mora, someone who. Uh, people say, you know, ran off into the woods to drink herself to death. Yeah, and I, I don't see much of that happening. It doesn't really matter whether what she did to go out there to get away. But, the, you know, the truth of the matter is she's missing, and, you know, that's what you got to focus on. It, it, it doesn't really matter before that time what drove her out there. Mm-hmm. It, to me, it doesn't. It, it matters that she's missing. And, and for what reason, it doesn't matter. She's missing. So that's what the focus has to be on. But for all intents and purposes, you were you were looking for a body, not where, like like you said, it's, it's unlikely that they, you know, that she would have gone uphill or her body would have ended up uphill because you did not believe that she wandered into the woods and wandered uphill. So essentially, you, you were looking for... Uh, a murder victim. Uh, well, that and other stuff. So, like I said, the, the cell phone, bottles of liquor, um, you know, everything like that. Okay, and and so that was the mindset of basically everybody out there. No one said, "Hey guys, let's um, you know why why don't we search up this uh this to to the top of this peak? Because if I was uh, going to drink myself to death, I would I'd go up there to enjoy the view." No one verbalized anything like that, or and sort of combated the idea that you were searching uh, for uh, what is essentially a body. No, no. We, we, when we talked about it, we, we're going out there to search, uh, to search for anything. It, it, it didn't matter, you know, what it was. It, it was for a, a piece of something to connect to, to more. Um, well, whether we happen beyond, you know, uh, stumble upon a body, uh, you know, there, it wasn't really talked about. You know, we were just searching for anything. Right. So what I'm getting is at that time, it was just sort of assumed that Mora was taken by a dirtbag. Yeah. Well, oh, yeah. It, okay. was, it was very highly assumed. Uh, yeah. You know, Fred said it all along that... that he, that's what he believes. He believes somebody grabbed her. Now, now, in my opinion, now, um, I want to bring this up before I forget about it. Is uh, this cabin thing that came up with a U- UMass cabin? Now, I, I, I was thinking a lot about it. 
See, Moore didn't know that area that she crashed a car in. She, she never went off that exit before with her father. When they did all their hiking, they got off of 93 in Lincoln, New Hampshire. They never got off of that exit. And if she was going out towards the Lincoln area, she would have gotten off that exit that she knew. Um, now, towards the Lincoln area. But she got off this other exit off of 91. So my, my belief, I, I strongly believe, uh, that she was going to someplace out in that area. And, and she didn't know that area. She would have known the area uh, from Lost River over to Lincoln. Lost River is on Route 112. She would have known that area from there on, but either she got off of that exit because the car wasn't running right, but I highly believe she got off of that exit for some place in that area. She was definitely headed there. And that UMass cabin makes perfect sense. Okay, so you didn't know about the UMass cabin back then, and, and this is news to you just recently as it uh, came to us. Yes. Yep. And so Fred didn't know about it either. No one had ever searched that area, the, to your knowledge. I, I don't I don't believe so. I, we, we, I don't think I ever heard that, that UMass cabin. We, we did hear of some guy that she might have been seeing down there had a cabin up in that area, but... There was no way to um, put it together, uh, no way to find out who it was that had a cabin up in that area, and I don't even know where I came with that information. I, I believe it might have been through um, a family member, but... Uh, that Mora might have been seeing somebody who had a cabin up there? Uh, yes, yeah. But yeah, it, it wasn't known where it was or, or, or anything, um, so... And, and, and knowing where this cabin is now, we did searches uh, down that road. We we had been down that road a lot of times. Yeah, it's interesting that it, that it was never brought up to uh, to you guys um, who who were searching, um, because it seems pretty obvious right there with that connection that the dots should have been connected. That that could have been the cabin that she was going to if that's what she was doing you know meeting uh, a new boyfriend or or you know a new friend or something something like that it, it, yeah how you know we'll go back to the um searching for a year consistently that that information was never like even accidentally stumbled upon but again like we're talking back in 2004 and 2005 and 2006 you know the information wasn't at their finger fingertips the way it is now, but still maybe the police knew about it and just didn't, ah, it's just frustrating. Right. I mean, it's like, it, it was right there. It was right there the whole time. Yeah. And are, so do you believe that, uh, Mora's old assistant track coach Hussein Baghdadi was, uh, the, the man that one of the family members, um, mentioned that she might've been seeing. Um, uh, yeah, well, yeah, it, it was spoken upon about that, that she might have been seeing somebody from, from school, that she liked somebody from school. Uh, but uh, I'm not sure if anybody knew who that really was at that time. Um, but you don't yeah. believe it was someone um, other than that, or there's no reason to believe it was it was a different guy? I think back then, I, I had thought it was a teacher. Oh, really? But, yeah, but... um. 
Yeah, but that that's that's kind of similar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. assistant coach, chief teacher. Yeah, yeah, and, and I was I was actually like I said an hour before we talked. I was just researching a few things, and 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 on Renner's blog, and this guy I'll call Hoss. I guess that's what they nickname him, Hoss. Yeah, uh, but he, I guess Renner talked to us and. Uh, and he, he and this guy said she was also seeing other people from the track team. Um, you know, uh, you know, it, it bugs me because I, it, that's my feeling now is it, these people need to be really talked to. Um, I, I'm amazed nobody's come forward on, on anything. Even even Haas, I, I guess. Uh, uh, did you guys try to contact him at all? Yeah, we, we haven't had any luck, and uh, I know that um, Renner had tried uh, as well after the uh, the news story about the UMass cabin came out, and uh, I don't think I don't believe Haas has gotten back to Renner, but it's it's hard to tell how much he gave law enforcement because I, I believe James Renner doesn't think that he told law enforcement all everything he told Renner. Uh, I have no idea how much they talk to him. We, we can't know unless we talk to him. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, that's my feeling right now is, is, uh, uh, with his cabin uh, that, that sheds a whole different light on everything. During the searches, were any of her friends like the, uh, the Sarah Alfieri or Kate Markopoulos or any of her UMass friends, did they ever uh, participate in the searches? Uh, not to my knowledge, no. Um, did anybody from your search or investigation, uh, to your knowledge, speak to them? Uh, only Fred, I believe, uh, was the only one. I, I don't think anybody else did. And nothing that Fred learned from them was... Uh, necessarily applied, maybe it wasn't useful in what you guys were doing. I yeah, from well, what he knew of Sarah and Kate, they didn't give any information on on something that was out of the ordinary or anything like that. Or or they didn't give any information on a certain cabin that was owned by UMass that she might have been going to. Uh, I guess that's where my second part of the question was coming from, was that if there was communication with her friends, it would seem, you know, I would I would think that her friends would say, hey, it might be a possibility that she went up to the cabin, the UMass cabin. No, Fred would have known about it. Right, right, exactly. So if he had known, you guys would have, you know, it wouldn't have been a surprise to you 12 years later to hear that there was a cabin. So in addition to the searches um, that you helped with, Fred, I know you took on some other duties. What other duties did you take on with Fred? Uh, uh, He actually put me in charge of contacting uh, the psychics that were calling in, um, taking taking down their reports. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, and it it got quite extensive on on, the... Psychic reports and everything, because when we had nothing to, you know, we didn't have any leads or anything, we'd search on these psychic reports. We'd come in, and and from the start, I think the very first one, um, this one psychic came up with the word uh, Jenkins, or um, he said some sign on on a cabin, on a log cabin, has the name Jenkins. Uh, so, you, you know, we're, we're looking for stuff like that. 
you know, we, we took all the psychic reports into account and, and tried to follow up on what we could on them. Um, mm -hmm. You know, there was a key word like uh, uh, mojo uh, was another key word that a psychic came up with. What else did you do with Fred? I, I know you, you helped him with uh, some of his Freedom of Information Act uh, documents, right? Yeah, yeah. Freedom of Information Act. I was able to get a lot of stuff, uh, you know, on the aircraft searches, uh, like I said, on the Freedom of Information Act order. Um, you know, at that time, you, you could get the documents. Uh, after 9-11, um, they sent you back a, a, a notice stating it was a new act that came out. It kind of counteracts the Freedom of Information Act order, and it's called the Right to Know Act. Um, so now, you, now you got to go to court and prove you are, you need the right to know on on, on having these documents. Um, <laughs> so it, it's a lot harder to get records now than it was back then. But you helped him put together uh, some of his some of the things that he used to uh, to submit to New Hampshire. Yeah, yeah. He, he you know he. he he didn't know the legal aspects of, of, of stuff, but um, yeah, so I, I helped him out a little bit there, what I, you know, what I could, what I knew. I just want to get back to the searches a little bit real quick. Yeah. What, what, kind of, what kind of stuff did you find, or what kind of um, interactions in the woods did you have? I know you had some uh, run-ins with some animals. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, there was a, there was a couple of times, and, and, and you know, um, the one time really stands out with me. We were down a dirt road. And, uh, and was, you know, uh, we're, there was a red pickup sitting there. Um, and over the other side of the red pickup was a, was a, like a, a downhill. So, you know, we searched around the red pickup and then, you know, searched around the downhill and, you know, down the hill a little bit were, were plastic bags. So we opened up one up and, and saw some hair, um, and, uh, you know, Fred, Fred really, uh, you know, he, he was broken up. So he went and called 911. And, and you know, uh, uh, we were told by the police, don't, don't touch anything. So then, then the police came and, and, you know, opened up the bags and found out it was actually deer. Uh, and, you know, there's one desolate place uh, that we were searching it was pretty desolate, and, and uh, we came across this moose, and somebody cut the head off the moose and just left the moose there. So a headless moose uh, as well in the woods. How many people were involved in the uh, when you discovered the bags? Were they trash bags that had this hair in it? Yeah, and, they were pretty fresh bags. And how many people, so you're going downhill, how many people were there, and, and Fred was right there with you? Yeah. And you called nine one one. Did you call from a? Did Fred call from a cell phone? Yes. Yeah. I I, I think he had walked down the road a little bit. Get a signal. Yeah. But yeah. What was Fred? Um, how was how was he acting? I mean, was he obviously? This must have been very emotional for him to find out or to to find this, and then to find out um, what I think was pretty shortly after was it was dear. Um, like, what were his reactions? What was his emotional state when he found that out? Was he relieved? Yeah, he was relieved, but you know, he had been shooken up quite a bit. It, it took a lot to get over that. Um, you know. 
It wasn't a laughing matter by no means. It, it was very emotional. It was very emotional for him. It was very emotional for the rest of us. Uh, you know, you, you don't know what to expect, and, and you know, and you, and then you have to back off and, and wait for the police to show up because you, you don't want to disturb any evidence. Um, so, it, it, yeah, it, it was quite emotional. Was this the first instance where you had that kind of jolt that something might be discovered? Um some sort of, uh, you know, a body, uh, or was this, uh, how many times did this happen? I guess. That was the only time I, I saw, well, no, I mean, I, it, it, within my experience, I, I was going home one day from, from searching and, uh, and, uh, I was going down, I, I went down route 18, I, I believe it's 18. It goes to, uh, towards Warren, I believe. And uh, I was searching the hillside down there. And over the hillside, it had just snowed. And this was pretty much towards the beginning, I believe, uh, that uh, it had just snowed out. It, it, the snow was pretty deep. And I remember I only had my sneakers on because, like I said, we didn't do a lot of foot searches uh, at that time. But I looked down over this hill and I saw blood everywhere. So, you know, I had to go take a look. So I went down there, and again, it was deer thrown over the um, in plastic buckets, mind you. The, um, and mm. the deer parts uh, and, you know, the uh, entrails, I guess. It's what it's called, you know, down there. But, uh, yeah, that was, a, that was a little scare for me. Did you call the police on that? No. Or you just, you could recognize that it wasn't human? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Did situations like that, you know, seeing this, um, the, the decapitated moose and uh, the the deer entrails and the blood, what does that do to your like your 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 psyche? You know, what does that do for your your motivation? Looking for, I, I just feel like it's a bunch of these like false alarms that are actually kind of creepy in themselves. Does did it did it make this like whole experience? It just feels like these like dark moments. Well, see, well, you can tell um, but by these moments that there there are people, you know, taking deer out of season out there. I don't, I don't believe uh, deer hunting season goes uh, into February. I don't even think there is a moose hunting season. Uh, it, yeah, um, so you know, uh, people are just taking them and dumping them, but you know, it goes on everywhere. Um, I, I used to be a hunter, so it, it doesn't it doesn't really bother me too much to find these uh, remains. You had mentioned on a, on a previous call that we had about a uh, a dirt road where you saw a sign about trespassers uh, will be shot. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, we, we yeah we just came upon this dirt road. Um, yeah, yeah, I believe that was on. Um, uh, yeah, Route 116 going towards Franconia. You know, so we, we, we just figured we'd drive down this dirt road and just check it out. I mean, you know, it's a simple dirt road, even though there's a sign out there, you know. Um, sometimes we'd, you know, if it was on somebody's house or something, we, we'd respect that, but it was just on a dirt road. But, uh, yeah, we went down there and then, uh, both me and Fred. It was just me and Fred that day. And we, 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 but we came. We started coming back down off the dirt road, and and yeah, there, there was a guy out there saying, "If my uncle was here, he'd shoot you right now." Wow! Did you have a chance to explain what you were doing there? 
Oh yeah, yeah. But he he was really really upset. <laughs> so so they would have shot you anyway. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, wow. <laughs> like, yeah, you're going to jail if you shoot me. I mean, you know, <laughs> whether whether you're trespassing or not, you can't really shoot somebody unless they're breaking into your house. With knowing that these signs are out there and and people are up there willing to open fire. Could this have possibly happened to Mora, in your opinion? No. No. Um, Why is that? Yeah, I, I, I just don't, I don't, I don't see it happening. I, I, I just see that she got, she got picked up by a dirtbag, or, or uh, I, I don't know, or something happened in that cabin that night. Um, and my high belief on that cabin is, is uh, people... The, the log with UMass needs to be looked at with the, uh, um, you know, the, um, that club there that owns that cabin uh, needs to be looked at. See if, see if it goes back that far now. But, um, and, and see if uh, some people can be located that, that, uh, that were at that cabin after that time um, to see what they might have saw. Uh, footprints. Uh, any any sudden disturbances or anything like that, right? Any... It, yeah, it sounds like to me like, like this cabin might be just a party spot for UMass students. Sure, seems like that's the case. Yeah, because <laughs> <laughs> because there's not enough uh, room to party at uh, UMass. Uh, right. Yeah. Right. If you don't mind taking us to your experience with the A-frame house, we have a lot of discussion that that goes on concerning that location. Yeah, the A-frame house. I, I don't put much credit into um but uh, that, that was pretty much fred's uh he came up with somebody that uh came to him stating his brother uh said something about, about something I, I i don't i don't really know the whole story but uh but there was a bloody knife in his truck and you know his brother basically this guy this guy's brother was turning him in I think he's passed away now. Yeah. Lawrence Moulton, yep, uh, was, was, talked to Fred and, and handed him a rusty knife uh, and, and said his brother, Claude, um, he believes, might have been involved and was acting weird around that time and was also living in the A-frame house, I believe. Okay, okay, that that brings back some memories, those names. I I tracked down Claude Moulton, a friend of Claude that worked with Claude Moulton, um, and I tracked him down to, uh, up around Bangor, Maine. I, I went and up there and talked to him, and um, and uh, he uh, he said he he would invite Claude Moulton to his house anytime. He, he thought he was a nice guy and everything, and uh, so I I, don't, I really don't give him much credit. Other than the brother was just uh, looking too much into something. Now, what do you know had been done with any? Um carpet samples or any blood stains that were found in the A-frame house. Was that anything that you were involved in? Yeah, that was, that was a search that went on with the League of Investigators. Um, and uh, they got involved. Uh, uh, John Healy, um, uh, I guess, you know, they, they pretty much did a lot of it pro bono. I think they pretty much did it for no cost. Yeah, so John Healy, you know, ran, ran it and I believe he he uh, he um, did um, that search for that girl out of Massachusetts. I forgot her name. Molly Bish. Yeah, Molly Bish. 
And, uh, yeah, I believe he was involved with uh, investigating that as well. You know, the legal investigators came in, and they took over, you know, searching the A-frame house. Uh, the copy, a copy sample was taken out of there because the dogs hit on it. One of the legal investigators had the carpet, and I was in touch with him. And, um, you know, he, he told me he was going to do a luminol um, study on it, see if the, it was blood that was actually there. But I hadn't heard anything. I turned it over to Fred, gave Fred the the, uh, the information on it. And um, so Fred, Fred took that over. I know there has been some speculation and theorizing and maybe even, dare, I dare say, rumors um, about the possibility that Mora was pregnant at the time of her dis- disappearance. What do you um, know about that? And uh, and did you, did Fred look into this? Did, did you have conversations about this? Yeah, a little bit. And, you know, um, it, it, it was theorized. It, was, it wasn't a known fact or anything. It, it was just... Uh, we looked at everything. Any any answer to why she might have been up in that area? Um, you, you know, who knows? She could, she might have been going into rehab or something like that. Uh, you know, or pregnancy or you know, so an abortion clinic. Uh, you know, we we looked at everything. We we, we looked at uh, sexual predators in the area. Um, you know, everything was looked at. We looked at. Uh, you know, serial killings around the U.S. Um, you know, it, everything had had to be looked at, and you know, this this was immediate. Everything was immediately just talked over and, and, and looked at. I love um, hearing about that, and uh, th- that Fred it was was so open to looking at all angles. Um, I think that speaks a lot to his lack of involvement in anything uh, to do with Mora's disappearance. You know, I feel like uh, some people still uh, kind of glob onto that and it, uh, it, it sounds really ridiculous. The longer we do this show that, uh, that he knew where she was going or that uh, he had something to do with it or anything like that. So I, I love to hear these stories from you, Rick, about um, him looking into that, that possibility. And I know there was another story um, a, a report that he followed up on about uh, uh, someone who looked like Mora who was dancing on a bar nearby. Yeah, and this we we, we got a couple of reports. Uh, this happened, uh, I think, towards the third year. I think it was late second year, you know, towards the third year. Um, that uh, that in Rochester, New Hampshire, uh, I think somebody had saw Mora on the news. And uh, and uh, or maybe when when that Discovery Channel first aired or, or ID Channel first aired that uh, documentary, mm-hmm. it might have been right after that. But um, yeah, so somebody called in and reported seeing more uh, at a bar dancing dancing on the bar, you know, you know. And so we looked into it. We, we looked heavily around Rochester, New Hampshire. Um, and uh, I actually went to that bar one night with my girlfriend and, and kind of, you know, just sat there around the bar and staked it out a little bit. And But nothing became of that. Uh, there, there were no other sightings around that area. Did you tell your girlfriend that's why you were there? 
Oh, of course. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> when you say uh, you got a call, like where does the call come in, and how does it? Did they? Did people? Uh, like when someone sees the 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 picture on the news, and then they think that it was more a dancing on a on a table in a bar. Who are they calling, and how does that information get to get to Fred or get to yourself? Yeah, they they would call. Uh, you know, the, the family number that was out there. I believe. Uh, uh, um, I don't know. I, actually, I really don't know. <laughs> but it, yeah, it certainly wasn't my number. But uh, no, it, <laughs> but I, I, it was Fred that came up with it uh, somehow, and he 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 had talked a couple of times with that girl in Rochester that, that said he saw her and she swore it was her. Um, then we had another report. Uh, um, I believe that was around uh, uh, New Hampshire, Lake Winnipesaukee area. Uh, I believe it was, uh, it might have been Meredith, uh, but it was around Lake Winnipesaukee somewhere. Uh, this was around the same time period. So, my friend and I went out and stayed the night out there in a motel and, and, and uh, went out to that bar where she was seen, I guess, uh, seen in the bathroom at the bar. You know, it, it was just reports. You know, but, uh, you know, we, we, of course, we followed up on them. Uh, you know, I had, I, I had like 30 reports of a uh, plane um, flying around that, that Day that disappeared, and you know, uh, it, it's hard to tell whether it was that plane or not. But right, and and none of those reports led to you finding the plane. No, they didn't lead to us finding the plane. But there's, it's possibility that they did see the same plane because uh, when that when that plane crashed, it, it it didn't burn like it should have if it had crashed, you know, at first. You know, it 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 run uh, pretty much out of fuel. Right. Yeah. It. I. I don't know what it is. Uh. I, I. I'm not a psychologist, but there's something about this case, and I think other cases. It sounds like um, where people almost see what they want to see. Right. Uh. We, we've had reports of sightings. Um. Mora works at uh at a gas station in Maine or or one in New Hampshire. Um, things we've actually personally followed up on too. Um, but I, I don't know if it speaks to this case or just like mysteries in general, but when people start to listen to this podcast or see the disappeared episode, they see Mora out there. Uh, I, I don't, I can't explain it, but I think it's part of the reason we're doing this documentary. You, you know, I, I think Mora has one of those very familiar faces that, 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 you know, fit, fits a lot of girls out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing with Moore is she, you know, she always wore her hair up. Um, you, you know, I don't think there's any picture of her out there that has her hair down. Um, she always wore her hair up. Except at the crash site. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it puzzles me that Butch Edward, uh, you know, said her hair was down. Right. I, I mean, I guess it could just speak to what we're, we're talking about, and, and he just could have been wrong. I mean, you know, memories are definitely not 100% accurate even though he had just seen that person. Um, it's hard to, to just say, oh, because because her hair is down, it wasn't her at the crash site. We got to look at everybody else who it could have been. I think I agree. I think you should do that or people should do that. And we've even talked about that and done a, that a little bit. Who else could it be if it wasn't her? But in reality, it's it was almost definitely Mora at the crash site. Right. Mora, after getting, after getting hit with an airbag, probably in the face would probably jar some, probably jar some hair loose. Um, did you ever talk to Butch Atwood? 
No, ne- never even saw the guy. Fred had already talked to him before, you know, I even showed up. Fred seemed pretty confident that, that Butch was, uh, was, was a stand-up guy? I, I believe so. Um, yeah, I, I, I think he, he, he uh, Fred might have thought that the, uh, you know, because the cops are hiding things that, 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 uh, you know, maybe, maybe the, it was the police. I, I don't think he really, uh, uh, gave much attention to Butch Atwood, you know, but the, you know, the police are, seem to be hiding stuff. So, you know, you're saying Fred and yourself at that time thought the police were hiding something. Oh, oh yeah, the, the police, uh, and they won't be honest with us, and, uh, you know, they, yeah, they, they just seem to be hiding stuff. They won't call in the FBI. Um, you know, you, you get a missing person up here in Maine, and every missing person I've seen up here in Maine, they call in the FBI uh, pretty much right away, uh, and the FBI takes it over. So it went beyond them protecting the case by not providing information to you, you know that they've actually lied to you. No, I, I can't say that. That we know they've actually lied to us. They, they, they just, uh, they, they just seem to be covering up stuff. That was my only hard-hitting question ever on this part. <laughs> 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 yeah, I'm not. I'm not going to say that we, we we knew that they were lying. No, right. Uh, but yeah, they, they're just something fishy with, with the police down there. There's, there's a reason why they're not doing certain things and reason I don't know or a reason they didn't do certain things at night now let's talk about Rick Forcier and, and his sighting was, was that taken as credible um, by you or Fred or the search group? There always seemed to be something fishy with that one. I could, I, I could kind of see, because uh, if I recall correctly, I'm not sure if I do, that, that Rick Fuller's here. Uh, actually, he reported, he, he, what, lasted two weeks, and he, after two weeks, he, after more disappeared, he told his neighbor he thought he saw somebody on the road that night. Uh, um, well, the force here had talked to the police before that and, and didn't come forth on, on what he had saw. And he told his neighbor about it, and his neighbor reported to the police, or whether his neighbor told force here to report it to the police. I, I don't know the whole story. But, but yeah, it, it, it just seems fishy that he, two weeks later he would tell his neighbor about it. And he also reported that Mora was trying to dodge away from cars, uh, you know, uh, uh, avoiding him. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I, I believe she also, he said he thought that it was a man at first. Um, because, you know, I, I, I don't know whether she had a hoodie on or, or not. Right, heavy coat or something maybe. Yeah, but I, I can see why Moore would be dodging cars if she had been drinking and, and not wanting to be seen. Right. Because she probably thought the cops at that time were after her. When you stated that there was something fishy about Rick Forcier's statement, do you mean that you don't believe the statement or you maybe think he 
saw something and knows it wasn't Mora, but he wants to get his, you know, kind of interject himself into the case. It, it, it could go a little both ways. Maybe he was just trying to say, you know, oh, I saw something that night, you know. Uh, and saw this person walking down the road. And, but I, I really don't see that happening. Um, and why he was telling his neighbor, uh, that 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 puzzles me. Why? why? Because he had, you know, uh, you know, if you look at his house, his house is uh, pretty much right on the corner of that Bradley Hill Road, and I think you can see Atwood's house from his house. And, but he he had, he had he was having his house worked on. I believe he had a motorhome, not a motorhome, but a, a trailer. Mobile. Yeah, yeah, in, in uh, his driveway. So he was living in that. So all his back windows of everything would have been all looking over that street. Um, yeah, if if more wanted to disappear from the accident, that would have been my place of guess that she would have gone is to his house. Um, but now knowing that, that the cabinet is up there, I'm thinking Mora was following somebody out there. And, uh, and this is just my guess, but Mora was following somebody out there. She crashed her car. By the time this person got down the road and couldn't find a place to turn around, he turned around, came back, and picked her up. And this is after Atwood, you know, had you know, been with her and Atwood was in making a phone call. So that, that's probably why Atwood didn't see her taking off. And he was probably in calling the cops. Um, so this, this is what I think happened. It, it, it kind of makes sense to me. Yeah, I, it, um, it, it certainly could be. I, I wonder if that was the case, why they were driving separate cars. Um, if, if she wasn't planning to, you know, escape her life and, and abandon her car there like that, it's puzzling. One thing I wanted to mention about Rick Force here is that uh, no wonder he was looked into by law enforcement. Uh, it, it's not surprising after hearing that um, that he may have told his neighbor and then his neighbor called the police and then he spoke to police. Um, it, it's not surprising he was high on the suspect list for a while. And as far as we know, he could still be um, on, on that uh, short list um, that law enforcement has. Um, and especially because he was doing construction to his house at that time. Obviously there have been rumors that uh, she's still there or she's where he was working. Um, so we we're not sure, really sure how far law enforcement took those leads, but it's not, it's not surprising to hear the, the path that it took to get to the police, um, why they view him as a suspect or viewed him as a suspect. I, I think all of us is, have always suspected him. Um, you know, it's just hard not to. Uh, it, it just seems too weird that he come come forward two weeks later. You know, he must have heard everybody talking about it within days. Uh, you know, of her disappearing. That he, he must have. And there were signs up everywhere, and and there were there were people searching the area right around his house, right? No. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, you know, because the search didn't start until, what, two or three days later? Yeah, they would have been all over his house. So he must have known. I, I don't know why he came out with it two weeks later that he that he saw her. Knowing the spot where Rick Forcier says he cited Mora, just curious if you guys followed up back then on that sighting. Like, did you go right into the woods right from that spot? 
you know, like I said, I came, I came out there two to three weeks later. Um, you, you know, um, you, you can't really go into the woods uh, <laughs> at that time of year. You, you just look for any any footprint. You don't you don't even have to go into the woods. I guess assuming that Rick Forcier's sighting was real. Um, did you guys ever put your head into what would have been Mora's head if she was running and dodging cars like Rick said? And then from the spot where he says he sighted her, where she would have gone uh, or if she went into the woods or anything like that. I know you searched, you would have covered that area. Um, but I'm just wondering if you ever try, attempted that. The very first thing I, I ever tried to do in this when I first started on this was get into Mora's head. What were the signs around that she was looking at? What, you know, um, you know, was there, you know, uh, so many miles to this place, so many miles to that place? Which way she, would she have gone? And uh, even at the, the location that Forcier saw her, they, they did do a search, I, and I believe that was uh, probably about three to four weeks later, out, out around that area. And I, and I actually went out there uh, that weekend. Uh, and I, I get out there on, yeah, I actually went out there Sunday, I believe. But I, I didn't see any search going on, but apparently they said they did a search out there. What was your relationship with uh, with the family members when you first arrived there? And do you continue to have any communication with them at this time? No, not, not so much this time, uh, at this time. Um, you know, uh, you know I, I was very... You know, strong with Fred, you know, for the first three years, and then um, it just petered out. Um, you know, I think I think both of us, you know, both of us had to start getting on with our lives. Um, you know, and, and uh, yeah, yeah I, I got involved with, uh, you know, Tim and Kathleen a couple of years afterwards. Uh, well, about, you know, four or five years afterwards. I think the last time, uh, actually, that I saw Tim, about four years ago, he came up because my, my father passed away. And uh, so he, he came up here and stayed here with his, his uh, well, now new wife. And, uh, but, but Tim and Kathleen had come over here before and gone swimming and everything. Uh, you know, so, yeah, I think, uh, you know, I haven't really talked to him talked to too many people in the, in the past four or five years anyways so at least for those first three years so it was a consistent search for a year and then how often after that year um would would you search and how did those searches uh get initiated yeah they, well the second year it, it dropped down to about every other weekend uh, mm-hmm. for, for for a full second year um you know, we would just go on leads that we had coming in or on, you know, working on the psychic reports. And uh, that, that was basically it for the second year. And what, what was the uh, what was the third year like? Oh, the third year was just, like I said, uh, just random, random stuff. And then uh, just kind of petered out. I mean, it petered out for me, uh, you know, and, you know, I... <laughs> yeah, I, I had my difficulties back then, but uh, yeah. So I, you know, and basically, Fred Fred didn't really call me anymore to to go searching or anything. So when he did call you uh, to go on searches, how did that go? Oh, it went fine. He, he it, 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 um, Fred Fred 
you know, you beat around the bush. He, you know, he say he's going out there. You know, he's got this lead to follow up on. But you know, I could tell, I could tell he wanted, you know, some help. So, you know, I'd offer to go out there. He, he'd never come out and ask my help. But you know, he, but he, he'd, leave he, my, he, he'd leave it in my hands to go out there and, and help him out. <laughs> I, I like that way of thinking. He would call you and and he would say, "I'm going up," and. uh and then just kind of like leave it there for you to 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 say, okay, I'll join you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's basically all it went, you know. Yeah, Fred, Fred's a modest man. I mean, you know. Well, yeah, and I also feel like that's a way of because um, you're not gonna you don't want to bring anybody up there and force them into doing something because their their head's not going to be in it, their heart's not going to be in it. And I feel like he's letting you know so that you can you know make your own decision. To, to go and if you decide to go as an adult you realize you know that you have a job to do now and it wasn't no one's forcing you into it yeah yeah exactly yeah. and that's the way fred is he's a you know he's a good guy when you guys would go out um afterwards for dinner who paid fred would always take care of the bill uh there, there was one time and i think you know this is uh well after two years you know, this is well into the second year that, that you know, I asked for everybody to chip in. We'll pay for Fred this one time. Oh, he he threw a fit. He threw a fit about it. But, uh, you know. Did you end up paying for him? Yeah, because oh, he, he was pretty mad about it. <laughs> I love uh, that. You know, like I said, he's pretty modest. He, you know, we're out there for him, and uh, he wants to take care of us. We, we, well, of course, we don't all pay for our own motel rooms, uh, and, and the woman that owned the motel at that time discounted our rooms uh, because of the cars we were doing. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, so it wasn't all that expensive. After about that third year, um, I, I believe it was uh, um, it, it was Moore's uh, mother that passed away. Um, you know, so it, you know, Fred, Fred was. Uh, you know, trying to get things straightened out there too, and and, and trying to, you know, he, he had the house to deal with, and mm-hmm. so he he had a lot of uh, you know, fixing up the house, and you know, uh, you know, and you know, dealing with that loss, and um, you know, they, I believe they were divorced. Yeah, I believe they were divorced, but yeah, yeah. It, it, he got the house anyway, but. Yeah, he had to deal with a lot with that, and he was dealing with a lot with his uh, work and everything. Um, you know, with that, you know, usual life stuff. So, if you could uh, get the chance to head back up there and search some uh, some areas or talk to some people, um, I'm I'm guessing that the uh, UMass cabin would probably be at the top of your list. But is there any other? Is there anything else up there that that you'd want to look into? Uh, no, I think the UMass cabin, um, uh, if there was any place I would else want to search, eh, nothing really comes to mind. Uh, no, I, no, uh, but uh, I think that area of uh, 142 with that UMass cabin is probably that needs to be searched. Uh, we we did search parts of it and and, and stuff, uh, you know. Uh, but that cabin, all all around that cabin, needs to be searched. I, I don't know if it ever was or anything, but yeah. And I, I like I like that answer. That's kind of what I wanted to hear, which was um, 
you pretty much exhausted every possibility when you were there in the first place. Uh, so, you know, a lot of, a lot of people who are new to the case you know, think that, you know, something's going to be there that was overlooked, but you know, you guys exhausted all possibilities at the time. So if there's something new that's come up like this UMass cabin and, and you're telling, you're telling us that, you know, it wasn't really known at the time, then I think that is the most important thing to take from, uh, from, from your, uh, you know, your opinion of what, what's needed to be looked into up there. Yeah. Uh, I just say areas around that UMass cabin, uh, you know, but you figure the snow is on the ground, you know, you can't, you can't dispose of a body or anything. Uh, it's very difficult. All lakes and rivers, you know, are all, you know, frozen over. Uh, it, it, back then, there was a lot of areas you could rule out just by just by thinking that. You know, so you're just basically looking for footprints or, or anything, but even if somebody was to drag somebody out into the woods and dispose of them, uh, you know, the animals would, you know, scatter everything everywhere anyway. So uh, it'd be on top of the ground and it wouldn't be below the ground. I mean, it's searching out there. Even if you look at the where her crash site is, on my way out there, I always had to cross the Canyon Mangus Highway. So on my way out there and, and going back home, you know, I'd search that very heavily. Uh, the Canyon Mangus Highway. So you know, uh, um, you know, you you're looking at uh, you're looking at least uh, forty forty miles, maybe. Uh, you know, from from the crash site to uh, so I, I I've searched that area and that's forty miles out. Yeah, you know, of course we went to I believe it was Bretton Woods where she looked up. You know, you know. Um, uh, directions to, but if she was going to Bretton Woods, she would have gotten off of 93 in Lincoln. Yeah, so it, I don't believe she was going in that area at all. I, I believe she was going in this one particular area for a reason. Did you ever uh, stop by the uh, Swiftwater Stage Shop while you were there and talk to the um, the owners? No, and, and those owners have been talked to so, so many times by Fred, by, by the other searcher there. Um, there was no need for me to do it. Okay, but yes, but someone someone from that investigative team did uh, talk to them. Oh, oh yeah, very highly. Yeah, you, you know, so much to the point that these people are beat up by people talking to them. Um, you know, I remember I can remember one of your podcasts where, where uh, um, you know John Smith was talking to um, Westmans, uh, I believe it was. Yeah, and it, yeah, he he seemed to get a little irritated with John Smith, and uh, you know, because John Smith is adamant that the car didn't hit that tree, and you know, and, and the Westmans are adamant that it did. It was just sitting right there. Getting that sense of what it was like back then from you is uh, been a little. It's been pretty eye opening for me. There's some some stuff that I you know, never really think about. Want to thank you very much for coming on and uh, and talking to us about this. I know it was a uh, very uh, difficult time in a lot of people's lives, and uh, it's probably probably not the best memories for you um, to to bring all these back up and everything. But uh, as Lance said at the beginning, really do think that it's important to put out there uh, some of these truths that you uh, lived right along Fred, you know, with Fred Murray, and I think this will uh, help a lot. You, you got you to know Fred, and, he, you know, he, he seemed very sincere to me, and he, like I say, he's a modest man. He, he's, uh, 
you know, he, and, and he gets troubled. He, he really, uh, he gets heartfelt and, and at times, and he gets comical at times. So, he, you know, he's a person. So, um, but in, in my eyes, uh, he, he did everything that he could do. And, you know, we all did. 